Welcome to another episode of Good Morning Camera. We got some spicy things to talk about today. Anthony, how are you feeling before we get into this episode? I am. Uh, I'm. I mean, I'm high on our first topic. Really, it's just the the Z8. Oh. Uh, but that's that's not really the. I mean, that's not the only topic we're going over today, Gadgen. There's also some other really spicy news. I almost sent you the link to the Komodo X, but I was like, this guy, he's on it. He's on it. And here it was in the show notes. (laughs) Finger on the pulse. But we're going to start with Nikon and the Z8, which was officially announced this week. We postponed the recording of this episode so we can actually get some hands-on time. And by we, I mean you. And by you, I mean Anthony. Tell us what your (laughs) thoughts are of this Nikon Z8. What can it do? Yeah, so this is actually really interesting. And... I think in order to explain what this camera can do, let's just explain what the Z9 has that the Z8 doesn't. So the Z9 has a built-in GPS function. Uh, The Z8 does not have that. The uh, Z9 has a built-in Ethernet port. The Z8 is missing that. The Z9 has a PC sync port. Again, missing that on the Z8. And then, of course, you're you're missing that longer video recording time because of the battery on the Z8. It is a smaller battery, obviously. The Z9 has the integrated vertical grip, so it would make sense. Nikon is saying that uh, on the Z9, you get 125 minutes of 8K recording. And on the Z8, you get 90 minutes of recording. And honestly, Gadget, that's it. <laughs> and I was just like what the heck like that's a really really small list of things to be missing from like the flagship specific things that you know yeah 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 so i so all right you told me what it doesn't have but for those of us that don't even remember the z9 (laughs) never had hands on don't know what's going on what can this do yeah so this is a uh, 45 megapixel camera super high speed like we're talking like crazy high speed for photography uh and then uh the video features are quite intense but just the overall body design this is one cf express uh or xqd and then one sd card slot it has the same sensor as the z9 and like i mentioned the smaller battery is a is kind of a a one of the main like kind of differentiating kind of features but this does have two USB-C ports. One is for power, and then the other is for data transfer. And what was actually kind of interesting is the Z8, when you attach the battery grip, is actually slightly larger than the Z9, uh, which I thought was kind of funny. I, did, I was like, well, that kind of seems like a little strange, but uh, it is what it is. Uh, and then, of course, the video specs are, are kind of crazy, but there are some like caveats here. Uh, the one big thing that I noticed, honestly, I picked up the camera and I noticed this like right away. The highlights were a little bit clipped and it's because the 12 stops of dynamic range. But here's what's crazy, Gadget. Props to Nikon. They are on the list of very few cameras to shoot ProRes internally. And then they are also on the list, an even shorter list of cameras to shoot ProRes and 12-bit RAW internally so like those those are huge huge kind of specs to include internally into this camera but man wow i was like i was pretty impressed but at the same time i did like like i said i noticed those little like little clipped highlights uh in the high end of the video here so uh initial thoughts gadget what do you think this looks incredibly impressive 
I don't know why I'm not as excited as I should be. Yeah. And it's a strange <laughs> thing to say. And I want, and it, it is my bias. You know, it, we all have a little bit of these biases, right? And I wonder, you know, if you're a Nikon user you're and a believer, like you're ecstatic. Mm-hmm. I got to believe you're ecstatic. I was, Absolutely, you know, I used yeah. to use Nikon products and like, you know, if I had a D800 still or a D810 or D850, I'm like, oh, like this would be the natural next upgrade. Like this is yeah. what I would step into. I, I sort of just, you know, maybe it's because of the availability. Maybe it's because of like software support and like, you know, using that video footage, that end log footage, right? The end raw footage as well. Like mm-hmm. how much support there, like I wonder how much of the creative ecosystem is around to support a product like this. If you're looking to build a rig around this and use that as a filmmaking tool, like how accessible is that? Yeah. If you're looking at lens mount options, like I feel like you're still adapting a good amount of lenses just because this ecosystem is still relatively small. On paper, it sort of like smashes everything, you know, out of the park, right? Like yeah. on paper, this is such on paper. a great product. It's just a strange thing to me. I feel like if you're <laughs> not a Nikon user, I don't know if you're really moved by anything. And 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 it, I, and it sort of like goes to this larger story of like the specs are often not enough. Like you can have all these crazy, crazy specs, but you need to have some sort of differentiating uniqueness right like i think sony's sort of like whether it's true or not but i I like to think it is like they've sort of locked down this autofocus as like their bread and butter right yeah you look at canon and people talk about the can canon colors and c-log 2 and what you can do with that footage and how versatile that is and not to mention ef mounts and mounting it to rf and all that kind of stuff right you know fuji's got film simulations and they're just packing a ton of features into their cameras, but it's really around creating vibes, a mood, that kind of thing, right? When you look at Panasonic, integrated into the video space and just like what you can do as a video. Like everyone seems to have their thing. Yeah. And like, I I don't know what Nikon's thing is. (laughs) And this is not a knock against it. This is just sort of me just talking honestly about like, what is their thing? Yeah. You know? No, I absolutely agree with you. And this is, I'm really glad you said that because I was going to say, I'm a little bit worried about Nikon in that maybe they're paying too much attention to these like buzzwords like 8K, ProRes, 12 bit raw, but then they don't like necessarily look at the things that maybe the filmmakers actually want when i see you know nikon rated this at a 12 at 12 stops of dynamic range i was really concerned i was like okay this is not really the video beast that like a lot of people are going to be thinking about and like i said when i grabbed the camera and i was shooting in church street we got those like nice big windows in our downtown toronto location and uh right away i knew i noticed like i'm like oh these highlights are clipped and then i asked the nikon rep i was like should we underexpose or overexpose and he's telling me like oh no it's actually a little bit better to overexpose for for shooting video and i'm like my highlights are already clipped here man like i was like oh my gosh this is kind of annoying so what i'm wondering is like I think they might be paying attention to these like 
these these buzzwords that like people want to see in the list of specs like i said they the 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 prores 12-bit raw kind of thing like that's i'm a little bit concerned about that but i think this is a huge step forward for nikon but they just need to pay a little bit more attention to what the filmmaking uh the filmmaking community actually really wants and that's great dynamic range and i don't think we're quite there yet but overall this camera is very impressive because we saw the z9 and everybody was like absolutely in love with it to get essentially a z9 in a less expensive body i mean who's it's great yeah, and that's a weird so thing it's like good. you know it's... nikon like i think they have one of the best and simplest menu systems you know of like sort of the major parties uh, you know i think when it comes to color of your raw files like it's all preference right like for me I don't necessarily like it for portrait work, but the sort of like clinical look of it, the sort of like accuracy of, of how they depict sort of landscapes and architecture. I feel like if you're into that world or even like sports to that degree where it's a lot of colors and colors on layers of colors, I think it's great for that kind of stuff. Again, it's weird. It's just a strange thing. And I, and I wonder how much of it is jaded by the amount of video work you do. I think if you're a photographer yep. and you're looking at this, like this is a great tool and you're going to be able to get your shot. You know, if you're in video and like a lot of it is sort of like complementary pieces and then like getting something that can like feed into something else that you can kind of graduate and you don't have to replace a lot of things, right? Like, you know, if you're getting a Sony vlogging camera and then you sort of graduate into APS-C and you can go to full frame, like there's sort of this natural progression. Like you can eventually get an FX3, FX6 and kind of go down the line. And at some point, those lenses are still cross compatible, right? Canon has that story, right? Fuji doesn't really have that story, but you know, to their credit, like they still make these phenomenal cine lenses and the kind of, you see that trickle down, right? That the technology and that know-how. And here it's sort of like, well, you can't like, this is it. Right. This yeah. is it. Yeah. So with that in mind, with that in mind, I want to make sure we end it on a positive note. While this camera may not be for you or I, who do you think is going to enjoy this camera the most? Who do you think yeah. is just going to be like over the moon for something like this? Yeah. And uh, I was a little unsure at first. And I actually asked Nikon uh, and they said, you know, if you own a Z9 and you're looking for a B camera or a gimbal camera or a camera that actually will replace your Nikon D850 and you've yet to move over to the mirrorless body, that's where that's what Nikon is saying that they want this camera to kind of do for you and be that camera for you. And I think if that's you a happen to get Willy Wonka's golden ticket last year and actually managed to get a Z9. Well, here's the thing. <laughs> here's the thing, Gadget. Z9s are coming in. People are getting okay. them. And okay. the, Z, the Z8 is actually going to be pretty rel rel relatively available. This is actually going to be the first like pre-order release that we've had where stock okay. is actually going to be quite available. Uh, that's what I'm Is it is it from. okay if I say I'll believe it when I see it? I, I again, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I just want to I want to see manufacturers deliver. <laughs> I totally get the the skeptics uh, on on this for sure. I totally show get me it. the boxes. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So yeah, I totally understand this the skepticism. Okay, but so I if you got a Z nine, this is a great B cam. Who else? Who else is looking at a camera like this? Um, 
I honestly think you got to be in the Nikon ecosystem really to be to be really excited. Like you said, I, I totally agree with what you said earlier. I watched a uh, video this morning and it was uh, it was titled Nikon Z8. How good is it for video by Andy AX? The YouTube channel's name is uh, you should uh, actually notice this. One of these guys, uh, they're on a couple other different channels, I think. And this video is actually quite good. The it gives a good example of what you can actually do uh, for video, but you'll have to notice that what I noticed uh, was that, you know, he's being very specific in the way he's using this camera um, to shoot video with. Like he's avoiding areas where, you know, you'd see those clipped highlights and he actually shows it in one shot, but majority of the whole video, it's actually him. It's like a behind the scenes look of him shooting a, a music video with the Z8, but he is being very specific on where he's pointing the lens. So, um, like I said, I don't think it's necessarily for the, the filmmaker, but if you're already in the Nikon ecosystem, then this is probably one of the most hype cameras you're going to see from Nikon uh, for the year, I think. Uh, and it comes in at a pretty good price point considering the Z9 is up there at $7,000. So that's my take. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I largely agree with you. I, I really think that Nikon made a camera for Nikon users. For Nikon yeah. fans. And so I'd be interested to see sort of like how much migration there is. How, how good is this camera? It can attract people from other places. I'd, I'd be interested to see what that is. But look, let's just let's just move on. We got we got we got something yeah. else to talk about, right? There's a there's another big juicy kind of uh, like I guess like leak slash like still like rumors kind of floating around. So Gajan, there was a video with Jared Lan that uh, it was like a live stream. It was actually a six hour live stream with Jared Lan from Red. I think he's like is he the like the CEO or something like that? The founder, uh, yeah. The founder, yeah. So he was choosing his words very wisely when talking about this new Komodo X and I knew you would be super hyped about this too because you are a Komodo user he actually showed part of like the part of the stream was him actually showing the Komodo X it says Komodo X the name has been confirmed but Gadget, what do you know about this camera and I'm interested to hear your thoughts and on what you think is maybe coming down the line here yeah so this I mean this took the the sort of like cinema nerd uh, space by storm right like just casually leaking that there's gonna <laughs> yeah. be another komodo camera this doesn't replace the existing komodo this mm -hmm. is now another product in the lineup so we're up to like four when this comes out and basically what made the komodo so attractive was that it was this small cube like what five inches all the way around like this cube that had this super 35 global shutter that you know, if you exposed properly, if you knew how to light a scene, mm -hmm. you would get beautiful, beautiful footage, right? With no rolling shutter, because again, that global shutter just captures everything all at once. There were some limitations, but when you factored in that this was like a six thousand US, you know, dollar camera that you were getting with these cinema specs, unlimited recording, like you just put your card in, you're good to go, and you can rig it out or use it very small and handheld. It was such a deal. And they were backordered for, for months at a time. Well, they took all the notes they could from Komodo users and more. And they decide to, well, it's going to be announced next week. But with all the leaks happening, I'm like, this thing is pretty much already announced. It seems like <laughs> yeah. May 16th is like the shipping date, you know? 
And even now, at the time of recording, like he just posted on Twitter again, showing another angle of it. But wow. you imagine this Komodo that's just a little bit longer, but now it could take the V mount, a micro V mount on the back, right? Mm. And it like, it's just something that if you're using V mount batteries anyway, you don't need an adapter for it anymore. It goes straight into the camera. It has more accessibility to the ports. The ports are now on the back. This is supposed to have better audio as well. Right. This is supposed to just give you much better audio options. The record buttons are redistributed. So you have a record button that's closer to the front of the camera. The mount itself, it's supposed to be a locking RF mount. So a more secure mount in terms of recording formats. They showed a screenshot where it can do 6K DCI 6K. So 17 by nine at up mm. to 80 frames per second, which is you know fantastic if that's what you need for the work that you're doing. Right. Uh, front record button on this as well and yeah it's it's said to have a i don't know if they confirmed it was bigger but it seems like it's bigger looking at some of the photos um the screen on the back like the top screen it's one it's the only komodo it's only red camera that actually has a screen on it it's a mm -hmm. bigger screen easier to use display so all of this is coming together for a pretty exciting tool that you know, if I want to guess, I think it's still going to be under $10,000 US. I don't yeah. know if every single person with a Komodo needs to upgrade to this. And I was thinking about like, what would cause me to actually want to like sell mine and get this one. And I think if it had internal NDs and I've seen no indication that was going to be the case that like, unlike yeah. the V Raptor XL, like this was not going to have any kind of NDs or anything like that. So, yeah. And then the other thing is that they announced a few accessories that are come with this, that it's going to be compatible with the DSMC three touched uh, monitors. Um, this is going to use CF Express cards instead of CFast, so much faster, higher buffer and just being able to offload your footage faster as well. Um, yeah, quite. A, it, it's exciting stuff. If you're a red user, like I think you woke up and you're like excited. I just don't know mm -hmm. if it's for everybody. Yeah, and I wanted to ask you about that too. So, but let me first say, like, I was curious as to like what those extra frame rates are gonna be like because if this body is slightly longer, then like, what do we? Why does it need to be slightly longer? I assume it's some sort of like fan or something like that that uh, kind of makes that a little bit longer. So maybe that is like kind of what we're kind of sacrificing for those extra little bit uh, of faster frame rates and such. But I wanted to ask you, Gadgen, because you're a Komodo user and, you know, you have mirrorless cameras and you also own a, you have a C70 as well. So like, what made you, like, when should somebody actually jump into like this kind of red ecosystem and why? Because like, it's so like the, all the accessories are very expensive. The cards are very expensive. What made you jump into the Komodo originally? And that might tease up the, the next question that we got going on here. Yeah. You know, for me, what, what ultimately sold me was the fact that it was much more, you know, affordable to get into red. Now, when you look at it, you're still spending quite a bit for the body, the accessories and all that kind of stuff. So you can easily get to 15 grand as soon as you just like kit the thing out and you got memory cards and batteries and all that kind of stuff. But that is also significantly more affordable than say 25, 35, 40 <laughs> grand than what it historically yeah. used to be. Right. So it's, you can get in, you can get the body and just like start using your own lens and slowly add the pieces and just 
make it more usable. Whereas in the past, you had to get a whole bunch of things all at once. And I yeah. think what sold it for me was being able to just have a high quality raw recording tool that in commercial environments, in, in creative narrative environments, music videos especially, that we just had this tool that can capture you know, a, a good amount of dynamic range. And while it could be temperamental when you don't have control of your light, if you are controlling the lights and if you know how to expose properly, you're getting just really beautiful footage and beautiful ingredients, I should say, to put something mm -hmm. together. And that's what ultimately just led me to the combine. The fact that it was small, like it was meant to be a crash cam. It did. I don't think they anticipated it being such of a popular indie filmmaking tool, but that's what it became. And I think that is what is like the impetus for having this version. It's like, okay, cool. Let's say you're not looking to use it as a crash cam. Let's say you want to do a little bit more with it and you want to really use it as a filmmaker tool. Like, let's give you a little bit better feature sets. Let's give you a built-in V-mount so you don't have to buy adapters and all that kind of stuff. Um, hopefully better grounded ports so you can't blow out your SDI port now. Um, just accessibility stuff, right? CF Express, blocking RF mount, more of a, another record button on the front. I think they just sort of polished it for people to just make it more usable if you're in that filmmaking space. Yeah, so that's I'm glad you made that point, uh, especially about the price too, because that was the first time where you could get into a red camera for under what was it previously? It was like twenty grand, or was like the lowest end red camera when the Komodo actually came out. Uh, but I mean, the more mainstream models were like thirty six thousand dollars US, right? So like that was crazy. So. I don't think it's necessarily going to shake up this filmmaker kind of space like the original Komodo, but do you do you think this has potential to do so? And what specs might make it kind of make make it you know give it that Komodo kind of hype that was uh, in the that happened in the you past? You know, I I don't think it's going to replicate the hype of the Komodo. I think that was also right place, right time, right product kind of thing. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. And, and, yeah, and you know you'd have to do something far more crazier than that to actually get it if this was like a komodo 2 and then replaced it and did all these crazier things like that would probably instigate more more traction but the fact that it's a complementary product it does a few things better it's not going to get that sort of like you know real marketing wave that the komodo had built up and excitement right so yeah i think that was lightning in a bottle and i think this is more about just like just growing the product line, having a few more options so people can compare and decide which one you want to get into. And now you're looking at it you're like, okay, I can get six grand, I can get this, I can, you know, spend eight grand and get that. And if I want to go full frame, well, you know, you pretty much double the price, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, if I'm looking at what would really kind of like excite Red, and maybe we can fin wrap this topic up on this, you know, mm -hmm. I think if they do something that was a bit of a low light monster, that sat in between the Komodo and the Raptor, and it was an affordable low light machine where you couldn't get as high the resolutions. Like there was no 8K. It maybe even like it gives you 5K, but they gave you this big, beautiful sensor that could just capture a ton of light. And it was, you know, in the size of a camera like this. That would be exciting. I think that would be exciting. And I honestly think that. If my gut says they won't make that product just because of <laughs> how it might eat into other products. Yeah. But who knows? Maybe. Maybe we'll see something like that. But look, enough about Red. We're, we're talking to what? 
two percent of our audience maybe <laughs> that actually care. Yeah. Let's move on to something a little bit more accessible, shall we? Yeah, exactly. So okay. this one's kind of interesting, Gajin. This is the Moment Module Eight. This this thing called the Tuner. This got uh, announced just recently, and this is really cool. Do you mind if I explain it here? Yeah, okay yeah. Okay, so this essentially looks like a lens adapter that you would use to, say, put like a Canon lens on a Sony body or something like that. But it's got this like piece of glass that moves and actually softens the image and replicates some of the very popular vintage lenses that cost like upwards of like $15,000. Uh, and it's actually kind of crazy. I didn't actually see a price. Did you see a price on this? I didn't catch that. There are prices. They're about $1,000 each when you, do the, when you do the Kickstarter and they might, you know, close to double the price when they come out. So it's a okay. pretty penny. But here's the thing, like essentially what this does is right now it's only going to accept EF mount lenses. Yeah. And it will only adapt, and you got to pick which one you want, whether it's a Sony camera on an E-mount or a Canon RF mount, okay? So if you're using a new mirrorless Canon or a Cinema Canon or, you know, a Komodo or Red product, you know, or any Sony, you know, modern E-mount solution, it'll work with that. And what this does, they've gotten these two amazing optical engineers with like decades of experience that have <laughs> designed lenses to build this thing that emulates the look of these vintage lenses, of anamorphics, of Canon K35s, and these Super Baltar lenses. And how this works, it's not going to give you the exact same look, but it's pretty damn close. Like, you would have to be really in the space to tell the difference. But it takes your modern lens, whatever EF mount lens you have, Canon, Tamron, Sigma, maybe a cinema lens, takes that and it applies a vintage look in the moment and you can dial it up or you can bring it back down right so you can you can decide on the fly how much of this vintage the sort of airiness the sort of halation how much of that you want in your camera in the moment and they're engineered mm -hmm. in different ways where the super baltars are like way more aggressive with it and the cannons are like less where the center is still pretty sharp and it kind of, you know, dissipates across the frame. And the crazy thing is like now you don't have to spend money on buying a whole suite of vintage lenses and buying gears and making them cinema compatible. You could take this thing, use your existing lenses and get a pretty, you know, just unique and just interesting look for, I would say, a more palatable price. Look, if you're spending close to $2,000, that is a considerable investment. But when you weigh that against buying new lenses, trying to get good quality ones, not trying to get ripped off on eBay, and the fact that you can tune your look on the fly, that's, that's quite impressive. So that's what this thing does. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that was like, what I thought was cool was the fact that it actually does things to the bokeh. Uh, because like when you apply, say like the cine bloom filter, like yeah, you get the haze and even like the the anamorphic uh, 
flare filters from uh, Polar Pro, like, yeah, you get the the haze and the uh, anamorphic, like, streaks across, like, the lens and such, but it doesn't necessarily do anything to the bokeh, where this actually kind of does, and it does give some interesting characteristics. It's more than just, like, bloomy highlights, uh, and that's what I kind of liked. And I like, like you kind of mentioned, you can lessen or, like, make the effect harsher by this, like, little, like, dial on the side of this, like, adapter-looking thing. So I thought that was really cool. And the guy who actually created this, he's won, like, uh, I think it was, like, 13 Academy Awards. So he's shot on, like, all these really expensive lenses, but bringing that look down to the more affordable photo lens kind of market. Uh, two of the movies that um, I noticed like right away was was Birds of Prey uh, with like Harley Quinn and stuff, and then uh, A Star Is Born. Both of those cameras, uh, both of those movies had a very distinct look, and now you're getting this on a smaller uh, kind of. He knows his stuff. He knows his stuff. He knows <laughs> yeah. it. He knows it, man. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so you know. Gadget- Gadget, where do you see this the the future of this product kind of going? What do, what do you think? Yeah, I I you know I really want this product to be successful because I think you know we'll go to a place where you can just go online, you could pick pick your mount that you're using, E R F, uh, maybe even like L mount, whatever it is, and then you can pick just different flavors. Like imagine just taking all the, these vintage lenses, like imagine contact Zeiss coming in here or Leica R mount lenses, like getting all these lenses and just they're emulating the looks of these lenses. And instead of you trying to buy, you know, every single set, you would just have your standard set of glass, you know, you whatever it is. And then you buy these emulators essentially that you adapt and that you use. And then depending on what production you're working for, like you might not even be paying for it. You might be part of the budget. Like, okay, cool. Let's go ahead and get this this one that emulates contact Zeiss. Grab that, boom, you adapt it. You're using your existing lenses. And now you have that look, right? Or where it gives you a a slight distinct look than some of the other ones. Or maybe like the Helios 44s, some of these like Soviet era lenses. Like that's what I'm excited about. I think that's the future of this is that it's going to come out. It's still going to be a niche product and it's going to be one of these things that as people use them, they're going to get more and more excited and you're going to want to get different flavors of them and collect them. Yeah. Last point on this and we'll move on to creator draft pick, but this is just an interesting kind of thought that I was thinking about. If you look at the, uh, the YouTube channels, like the, the really big YouTube channels that are kind of out there, this diffused kind of look is like, I feel like it might be starting to get maybe even a little bit overused. Uh, sometimes I definitely think it is necessary. You, know, you want to enhance the the look and tell the story better. Like for example, on my short uh, film that I just shot, I used the Kenko diffusion filter because I wanted to simulate that like dream effect. But what I'm worried about is maybe people might get might be overusing this look. Uh, And the fact that this module eight kind of accessory is making it uh, a little bit more accessible. I'm wondering when the trend reverses because I remember the the phase that YouTube kind of went through when Peter McKinnon was shooting 120p. There was like that 120p hype phase where everybody was shooting super slow motion. And I feel like 
now the trend for frame rates might be reversing a little bit. And this is something I was even thinking about when I was shooting my short film. Everybody would be expecting to see the slow motion shots. So I purposely shot this like dramatic kind of sequence in 24 frames per second. And I think it looked a little bit different. And I'm wondering when the trend might reverse to people even favoring the non-distorted like like perfect perfect kind of look like roger deakins uh how he's like always using like airy cinema uh, airy cinema lenses because it's it's just perfect you know what i mean so i'm I, that, was, that was just an interesting thought that i kind of had but creator yeah. draft pick yeah creator draft pick time gadget we're running out of time let's this do is- it let's do it let's do it we're, we're over you- we're over right now let's wrap this thing bring it home <laughs> Yeah. What do you got? What do you got this? Uh, I, you know, I had one. I'm going to switch it up right now. You know, I had something educational. I'm like, eh, scrap it. Save it for next week. Uh, I'm excited for a Zelda, the new Zelda game, oh. Tears of the Kingdom. You know what? <laughs> Sometimes you just need to take a load off, play some video games. That's my pick. It has nothing uh, to do with anything we talk about this show. Nothing to do uh, about the imaging space. But I tell you, some beautiful visuals in this game. How do you like that for a segue? It doesn't matter. <laughs> I don't care. This game is available today. I'm excited to just sink a ton of hours and just not worry about anything this weekend. Yeah, I don't want to think about nothing, Anthony. I don't want to think about nothing. I'm. It's been a while. <laughs> a while since I've been, you know, play, sitting down playing some video games. I'm very excited for this one. The last one was like my one of the, my top three video games ever played. This one looks to be even better than that. I think it might be the best game of the year. I haven't even played it yet. What do I know? But hey, I'll see you at the end of the year if that's the case. <laughs> that is my creator draft pick, Anthony. Uh, what about it. you? I love it. That's great. Uh, it's too funny. Okay, so uh, when when my girlfriend asks me questions about you know filmmaking and like trends that she sees on like TikTok and things like that, I get a little bit concerned because I'm like, okay, this is obviously like. Uh, it's a bigger trend when, you know, my girlfriend starts asking me uh, about random filmmaking trends that are going on right now. And one of the trends that she was asking me about is she asked me, have you heard of the director Wes Anderson? And I just started like laughing. I was like, of course, like, yeah, great filmmaker. Uh, Some interesting, a very interesting way that he shoots films. And I'm seeing these videos on TikTok and Instagram of people making short films inspired by Wes Anderson films. And I was like, Oh, I'm getting a little concerned because like I know the TikTok crowd, you you jump on these like little bandwagons without actually doing any research here. So I got to make sure the Good Morning Camera before the, the Good Morning Camera audience, before you go and make a Wes Anderson style film, make a film uh, inspire a retro, uh, this Wes Anderson inspired film go and actually watch a Wes Anderson movie. Uh, I just watched The French Dispatch, uh, rewatched it. Uh, it's been a bit of time since I saw that film and I just rewatched it again uh, just the other day. And then I also uh, went back and watched, uh, what was the uh, the hotel movie? What was that one called now? I'm Grand drunk. Budapest Hotel. Yes, Grand Budapest Hotel. So good. Uh, and I was yeah. just like laughing. It actually, like the way Wes Anderson shoots it adds to the comedy. Like they're not necessarily funny movies, but the way it's shot is like, 
it just adds yeah. to the comedy. So that's my pick. I guess it's like Wes Anderson as a whole, but really just pick a movie. Yeah. And just, they're all good, yeah. really good. So. I, I highly recommend the Grand Budapest Hotel. I think that's it's one of funny. his more approachable yeah. ones and a yeah. ton of humor. And yeah, like the set design and, and just the art direction, everything. Amazing. Exactly. That is everything. What a what a packed episode. We're here at 35 <laughs> minutes. That's enough of us. Thank you so much for listening. If you're enjoying the show, share it with your creative friends and leave a review for us as well so more people can discover the show. My name's Gadget. His name's Anthony. And we'll see you next time. See ya.